What's up, everybody? Welcome back to On My Way to School with me, Adam Peterson. I'm so excited for another episode to share with y'all. I had a blast chatting with this guy. He is a former educator and fellow children's book author like myself. And we happened to meet in line at a rental car bus waiting stop at Seattle Airport, of all places. We just started talking education, found out we're both authors, and and yeah, made a connection um, realize we share a lot of the same passions for education. So I'm excited to share his little interview that we did with all of you. But before we get to that, I hope you have coffee in your hand or in your cup holder in your car. And hopefully it's filled with my favorite kind of coffee. And that is from sandhillcoffee.com. The only place that I get coffee when I'm brewing it here at home. Uh, I love all of their blends, love what they stand for, love their mission. And uh, you can actually save because they are a sponsor of this podcast. So if you head to Sandhill, that's S-A-N-D-H-I-L-L, coffee.com, whenever you get ready to check out, use the code SCHOOL10 to save on your purchase. Let's get to it. All right. Well, welcome to the show, John Fuller. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much, Adam, for asking. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you here. So we met um, standing in line for a, a rental car bus at Seattle Tacoma. Is that right? Seattle Tacoma. That's where we were, right? Yeah, that's right. So we were in the rental car shuttle line and uh, we're just a couple of teachers uh, talking shop. You know, we could have been at a McDonald's with an Egg McMuffin or something right. like that. I know. It it's very, funny. Very fun. Because I, I remember looking, I'm like, is this the line? Because I had never been to Seattle before. It was my first time. And you were like, yep, this is it. And I was like, this is yeah. insane because it was crazy long. And then yeah. I don't know what turned the conversation to education, um, but found out we were both educators and both children's book authors. Um, and and you filled me in on a little bit of where I was heading in Washington and, and what yes. to see. So um, I guess let's let's start with with a little bit about you. So retired teacher now, but yes. um, your your bio of where you've taught is kind of expensive. Can you tell listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things about in a, in an addition to uh, being a teacher and just shaping and changing children's lives, which is just absolutely an incredible fit for me, was just that education afforded me the opportunity to travel quite a bit and have mobility in my profession. So for example, I started off, I went to school for getting my teaching degree at UCLA. I taught in Los Angeles Unified School District. Uh, I taught, my first teaching assignment was at Hoover Street Elementary School, 2,100 students, the second largest elementary school in America. Wow. Uh, three tracks with 700 students, uh, which was just fantastic. I love that. Moved to, got engaged, uh, moved to Washington, D.C., uh, got married, uh, and then from there moved to Boston area. I taught in Arlington, Massachusetts, right next to Lexington and Concord, where they oh my had, gosh. the shot heard around the world, the American Revolution begins. So I'm there. Uh, my wife is going to Harvard to the Kennedy School of Public Policy. Then we decided to move back to my hometown of Seattle, Washington. Uh, and then from uh, from Seattle, uh, my wife was working at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And then we shifted uh, one. We did a one year uh, opportunity to teach uh, in Delhi, India, where my wife opened up a satellite office for the Gates Foundation called the Avahan Initiative. And then finally, uh, we ended up in the Bay Area uh, and my wife took a job change uh, and now presently works for Google. But the, the thing was, is once again, 
just having afforded that opportunity to have that kind of mobility. And I, my, I taught nine years at uh, Oak Knoll Elementary School, uh, right across the street from Stanford University, a stone oh throw away. So it was just a, just a magical, magical uh, experience. And I've enjoyed every single minute of it. So 30 years as a career teacher, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Wow, that you in in thirty years uh, all over too. So so I know yes. you're 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 a dad as well. Were your did were your kids? Did you have kids at that time? Like they were traveling with you from place to place? Absolutely. So for okay. many years, we liked to do that kind of one stop shopping where the kids were going to the school that I actually taught at, and yep. so there was a lot of times where I would teach and then finish up the day and. Uh, my youngest daughter was uh, was very competitive, and so she always said, "Okay, Dad, it's okay for you to you know to do this, but uh, as long as we can play a game of tetherball at the end of the day." <laughs> nice. So, yeah, she wanted to be the second grade tetherball champion of uh, of our school, and so I said, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll be glad to do that." That's awesome. We had a, we actually had a tetherball pole in our backyard when we bought when we moved into this house. There was a uh, like the, the previous owner had a, a clothesline, like one of those telescoping, like umbrella shaped clotheslines. And I was like, no, we're never, we're never going to use that. So I like uh, fabricated, cut the top off of it, left the pole and hooked, like rigged up a tetherball pole. And then we ended up putting our pool in that area, but we had, we had one for a number of years. Yeah. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. Right. right. <laughs> there you go. So how did, I, I guess, and this is me asking for a personal question, because my wife and I have have always talked about, we live near Chicago, but we've always said, you know, like we are total summertime beach type people. Like we, we just, we know someday we're going to end up in a warmer climate, but we, we are also those parents that now like we, we live in a very small community. So our kids have very close knit relationships with their friends and we have convinced ourselves that we can't pull them away from those, those friendships. How did, how did that go? And this is a whole nother conversation. Maybe we're diving outside of education here, but how did, how did your kids react to those moves? Well, you know, one of the things about when you show your kids the world, so for example, when we lived that year in Delhi, India, and then we we traveled pretty extensively during that time. So we decided that at Christmas time, we weren't going to come home, but we decided to go to Sydney, Australia, New Zealand, wow. and Hong Kong. And so, and then on the way back, we went through and we traveled through Switzerland, France, and London. Well, the what happens is, is our oldest daughter and her husband just moved to London. So, you know, oh you show gosh. the kids the world and then all of a sudden they take you up on that offer. And so that's been, you know, the I would say the one of the themes with our kids is that they're they love to travel. And yeah. so, you know, I think that that's as you choose whether to do a beach or a mountain. I'm more of a beach person. Uh, you know, maybe your kids will adopt those qualities as well and they'll love it as well. Well, that sounds like an awesome, awesome path, man. That's that's cool. So four, five, six throughout your 30 years, you were always in that range? Yes, I was always okay. in that range. They always think your jokes are funny, you know, all that sort <laughs> of thing. We're middle school and high schoolers. And then, you know, I know that you started off with the young kids and I was just thinking I only had to plan five or six lessons where, you know, kindergarten <laughs> teachers have to plan like 30 lessons. I was like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, but I'm, I think the, the same way, but in the opposite, I, I couldn't. I think the middle area where you are is is one that I'm like, I don't, I don't want to touch because I, I see that they're at that point where they do start to get your jokes, but they also start to make up their own. Like they're, they're getting a little too smart. <laughs> That's true. I think I've always said, like, if I wasn't teaching preschool or kindergarten, I'd like to teach like like 
advanced like high school writing or like college, like creative writing, like something, because I know that's a, a passion of both of ours and we're going to get into that. Right. But I, I, when I've wrote my first children's book, um, just as a, I mean, it was more so just a, a fun little thing to, to get my kids interested in writing. That's why I did it. I got, I wanted to get my students excited about writing because I wasn't feeling like the greatest writing teacher. And uh, it, I mean, it did, it, it, it turned them into wanting to make book after book, after book, after book. Um, but I, I, I see so much potential with, with older kids who might be venturing down that path of, Hey, I, I might want to try this out too, with that creative side that in realizing there's so much more to creativity than just like being, being an artist, you know, like writing is, is completely creative uh, process. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe someday I'll go back and do something like that, but I'm enjoying the ride I'm on right now, you know? No, absolutely. And and what's really fun is to invite them in on the process too. So what was really fascinating as I, as I was writing my first children's book, Fly Car, you know, I would share with them, you know, what, what the characters were going through. And oftentimes they had very, very good insights as to, you know, how a kid thinks, because, you know, a big part of, of a writer, as far as writing dialogue is you have to write like that character in right. that character's voice, right? So Stephen King says that to keep writing because your characters eventually talk to you. But one of the things is when you invite your classroom into that, they think like a kid. So they can write and they can uh, kind of give you sayings or quotes or thoughts from a kid's perspective, which I found engaging. That's awesome. I love it that you mentioned Stephen King too. He's by far my favorite author of all time. Um, and he just celebrated a birthday. I think it was, was it 70 maybe? Uh, that I sounds saw about right. shared something recently. A friend, a friend of mine that's a high school teacher here in town is like Stephen King fanatic. And so we have conversations about some of his books, but yeah, he, I remember reading his stuff as a, you know, a, a young kid, not tiny kid, but you know, like a, a teenager myself. And I, I, I was hooked on reading because of Stephen King. Right, right. And I one of the things I love about what Stephen King said on his book on writing is, you know, I would write about topics that were interesting to me. And he loved to go to the Saturday morning, like sci-fi movies, like the doubleheader sci-fi movies. And his English teachers would always say, why do you write about such dark subjects? And he felt bad about that for many years. And then he just said, you know what, this is what I love to write about. So writers should write about the things that are they're passionate about. Yep. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's get into that. So I've shared a lot about my, my children's books on my podcast over the years. So people that are, have been following this know that I've got a few out there. Um, but that's kind of what sparked our conversation the most in that line at Seattle airport was the fact that we have both self-published um, through the same, yes. the same organization, the same company, our, our yes. own children's books based off experiences that we felt in the classroom or from students. Um, I know that your education background, but also where you live played a big part in, in why you started your, your first book. So tell us about this, this book fly car and, and where this came from and, and, and the path that's taken you on. Absolutely. So, you know, I did mention previously that I taught in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, in the Stanford area. And of, of course, my wife also works in technology. So that was a natural. So I've always loved the intersection of technology and kids. Mm -hmm. And so that was always fascinating to me. And, and the other piece of it is fiction should have enough of a through line where there's this realm of possibility that that, that what, what we're writing about actually could potentially happen. So, uh, 
you know, I thought I think back to like Star Wars and pod racers or, you know, just all of those things um, that that were out there. So anyway, so I'll give you a brief kind of elevator on on fly car. So Eli Martin was a 10 year old boy who's an inventor who desperately wants to spend more time with his absentee automobile executive CEO, Father Michael Martin. So he creates a car that can actually fly. And Eli decides to give the car to his dad on Father's Day. But the dad, being in the automobile business, decides to double down and mass produce fly car as a way of salvaging Martin Motors. And this is like 2008, 2009, where two out of the three big automakers uh, of the big three were were underwater, right? Yeah. They were chapter 11. And so it was, it was relevant, you know? And mm -hmm. so there's this kind of tension between what Eli wants the car used for and what Michael Martin, who just when you think he's like this corporate Darth Vader guy is trying to resurrect the city of Detroit, which is really, uh, really struggling and really hurting. Well, and it, it's funny you mentioned 2008, but now where we are in 2022 and you see all these companies announcing you know, the, the end of production for some classic cars to go the electric route. And so I think it, you, you mentioned relevance of 2008, but if, from what you're saying is totally relevant for today's day and age. There's so much change in the auto industry. It's, it's ridiculous. Right, right. That's exactly right. So, you know, that's, that's what I really uh, loved about it. And, you know, you think about, um, you know, Larry Page, you know, he got interested in this Kitty Hawk, which is this, you know, flying car. So there's, there's all kinds of things that, you know, and so the, the, the really mo the motivation for me on this was, I was very much trying to get boys to read. That was mm -hmm. my, that was my motivation, nine to 12 year old boys, you know, and you create these programs like accelerated reader and things like that. But again, and again, and again, the girls were reading, but I was trying to get topics that would be relevant for boys to read. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've looked through some of the reviews on, on Amazon for us, five star across the board. It looks like um, so much praise which I love that you mentioned the education technology, but there's a few reviews where it's parents or, or they, I guess I don't know specifically parents, but talking about that, what you just said, that my, my boys loved this book. My boys loved it. And, and not to be stereotypical with, with, you know, gender there, but you're right. It was, my daughter reads so much more than my son does. Like it's, right? just, it's just natural. He is a hands-on busy doing little boy. I know not all kids are cut from the same mold, but um, to see those reviews totally, totally, you know, backs what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other piece, the other thing that I tried to do is I tried to infuse about eight to 10 illustrations there kind of in a cartoony, not a graphic novel kind of way, but a, a cartoony way to where the chapters are a little bit smaller so that a, a, a reader could feel successful. Like, Oh, I just read another chapter. I just That's read awesome. another chapter. And so, you know, you think about the goal is to pick up a book, read a book, complete a book, and then you're like, I did it. You know, there's that sense of like, wow, I really finished a book. And, and that was the goal with both Flycar and this Roboto. That's awesome. So did you, you did not do the illustrations though, right? No, I, uh, I was able to uh, find uh, an illustrator. And, and that's one of the things that's such a challenge on that, because you say Eli Martin, he's got spiky brown hair and electric blue eyes. And then he, the, the illustrator, you know, makes the illustration. You're like, no, no, you don't get it. That's it's not it. <laughs> electric blue eyes. And so fortunately, the illustrator, who is a guy by the name of Shane Burke, was extremely patient with me. And, and he did a magnificent job on it. 
Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love it, man. And the, the cover catches my eye. I love the, 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 the father or the, I don't know if it's father, son in the boat pointing up at the sky. Um, yeah. Super cool catch there. So yeah. uh, you mentioned Mr. Bato as well. So yes. after fly car, that next one comes along. What was your, your process for that book? Yeah. So once again, you know, the intersection of technology and kids, and I don't know if this is like this for you in the, in the super cities, but you think of like Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, the cost of living has become so prohibitively expensive that people like substitute teachers really can't swing it. They can't make it economically work. And so, uh, you know, uh, Trey Wilson is a 10-year-old boy, typical fourth grader at Lincoln Elementary School. Their beloved teacher, Mrs. McPherson, is going out for the remainder of the school year on maternity leave. That's very common. The principal, uh, Mr. Martinez, is unable to actually find a long-term sub. So he has to think out of the box, and he meets up with a technologist, Steven Erickson, who's like an Elon Musk-type character, who creates a robot and a prototype robot called JPEG Roberts, which is then nicknamed to Peggy Roberts. But with machine learning and artificial intelligence, at first, the robot's very clunky, but then it starts to reiterate, reiterate, and all of a sudden, it becomes this amazing teacher. And so there's a conflict in the classroom between who wants, you know, uh, Miss Roberts, you know, the, the robot or Mrs. McPherson. Uh, and so there's a kind of a conflict between people, man versus machine. And these kids are going to live in that world. That's going to be a world that they live in. And mm-hmm. so they're going to have to become very familiar with those concepts. Yeah, it looks awesome. And I think it, it's when we talk about relevancy, uh, my goodness, with the sub shortages going on right now, it, it is insane. I mean, I know that I mean, I'm a public speaker and I do teacher conferences and it's hard to get an audience. And it's not because, I mean, it, there, COVID is no longer the, the the stopper to that. I mean, everybody's kind of back in the routine of things around here, but it's, we can't get subs. We can't get subs. We can't get subs to go out and go to events. So um, I think this one, I know you didn't write it right now, but it is totally fitting into what is going on in the world right now, for sure. Absolutely. And I remember my final year, you know, ending up, you know, with a COVID classroom And there was one thing, there's the difference between, you know, I was one of these teachers that had like 135 sick days stored up and all that sort of thing. But it's one thing to to attend and show up to class every single day because, you know, you have a strong work ethic and everything versus you have to be at class because Mm -hmm. there's no other option. And the option is to fold your classroom and divide them up into two other classrooms. And then, you know, the teacher's left with 45 kids, you know, so, uh, you know, that was what I noticed. And so it's, it's one of those things that I would try to write about life imitating art, you know, and I would try to write about these concepts that are very relevant. This is a very real scenario. But it's one of those things that not everybody understands, right? Like there's not another, and I don't want to say not another, there's probably other careers, but there's, there's a joke. And I know you've seen like the memes that say, you know, it's, it's, it's so much easier to go in sick than it is to try to prepare sub plans. And unfortunately that is so sad, but true. And I don't, I can't think off the top of my head, another career that can say that where it's, it's so much easier to go in sicker than a dog than, than to stay home, right? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And and what's very interesting about that is, you know, teachers, firefighters, police officers, nurses, all of those professions, what I call the help and support professions, 
that that situation is true. They need you, right? Yeah. They need you to be there on site, like in, in desperately. That's why. That's why this is always filled up. This cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Are you that's are you a coffee right. drinker? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So All there's right, a so joke. Yeah, I always go ahead. Jerry, go ahead. No, I want to hear the joke before I ask you the question. <laughs> yeah. So a few years back, I saw uh, Jerry Seinfeld do a, a stand up in Seattle and he said, oh, awesome. you know, you, you Seattleites are, are just way too jacked up. You stop on the way to coffee before you go to Starbucks. You know, kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah, so yeah. What, what's your what's your go to? Do you have a favorite or are you just kind of a. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a grande iced soy latte guy. You know? Okay, all right. Yeah, that's what I am. How about you? I'm. You know what? I I actually have. If I'm out and about, I go like the ice shaken espresso route. Um, mm-hmm. But at home, um, actually, I have my only sponsor of this podcast is a a coffee company that's a local a local guy. So um, I did an episode a while back with him. Um, oh, his company's called Sand Hill Coffee. S A S A N D H I L L. Mm-hmm. Um, based off the Sandhill crane that he saw as he explored different areas. Um, but he was a guy uh, who was in the corporate world, was yes. tired of the nine to five corporate. He wanted to be creative. So he started reading and in his story. He tells me that he's talked about, he um, was saw, he was at a doctor's office, I think, and saw a coffee table book about coffee and started reading about it <laughs> and how interesting it was. So he on his own started this little company um, with, with one roaster and one grinder um, he flew to Guatemala and different places to try out different beans. He now has, you know, um, humanely sourced and, and locally sourced, uh, coffee farms that he visits and that he uses. Neat. And, um, he started it in a little town near here. I met him at a farmer's market, tried it, fell in love. I called him up. I said, I need more. And he's like, check out the website. I was ordering, ordering, ordering. So I'm again at a farmer's market and I said, Hey, I talk about coffee a lot to teachers. Like it's one of those things, yeah. teachers. I said, do you want to, you want to sponsor the podcast? So yeah, if I'm at home, I'm drinking Sandhill coffee. Um, if I'm on the road, it's, it's kind of honestly, whatever I have gift cards for and what's in my app, right? right? Like right, <laughs> right. as teachers, my wife gets loaded up with coffee gift cards, like for Chris and she does not drink Excellent. coffee. So she, oh wow, I was like, how much money you got in your account? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. You, you you get all those, you know, coffee gift cards and they're always wonderful, wonderful gifts. I remember yeah, that. totally. So I've, I've talked a lot about my, like I said, my books, but I've also shared with teachers um, my, my process, like for, mm-hmm. for taking this on. And I know you and I both used um, Kindle direct publishing, yes. uh, super simple to do, but you took a kind of a different route with the, with the chapter book and the illustrators where mine were, um, I mean, I did do my last book with an illustrator. Mine were doodles and me just putting together like, you know, a 28 page book, um, right. the typical, you know, young early learner children's book. Mm-hmm. What was your, your process like in me? And I guess every writer has a different process. Are you a, I got to sit in front of the computer, knock this out at one time kind of guy. Do you go to different coffee shops to write? Do you, what, what's your writing process like for teachers that might be interested? Right. So my process was really interesting. I, uh, I had a very long commute. So we lived in, you know, Orinda, and then I would drive all the way to Menlo Park, which, you know, took about an hour on the way in and about an hour and a half on the way out on the way back. And so I had a lot of time to think and just kind of quiet myself and, and, and really think. And so that was kind of how I would start thinking about scenes, like 
scenes would visually come to my mind. And then when that happened, I try to get home after school and, and uh, write, write it down and type it in as quickly as possible. So, you know, being a teacher, you know, I didn't quit my day job or anything like that, but with your 20% that you have left over weekends, holidays, and then the summers, I would really try to, you know, pound out as much as I could. And, and as I said, you know, with Stephen King, he says, Make sure that you're in the discipline and the habit of writing every single day. And, and when you do that, your characters start talking to you. And that was absolutely true for me. Um, and so that's that was my process um, that I would go through. So, for example, Fly Car actually took me about two years to finish because, okay. you know, you're starting stopping on it. Um, but, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things I remember I, I would start one. Like my first one, I wanted to knock it out because it was a quick little book teaching a lesson to my students about things that we had talked about in the classroom. And then I was in that that mode, like when I'd start a second one or I'd start whatever, like my latest one that came out, I I wanted it out so quick, but then I had to think about, okay, it's got to be the best, got to do this. It can't just right. be fast. And I, you say two years, that, I mean, that's a, that's dedication to come back to that, to come back to that, to come back to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the other piece that you probably found out, Adam, you can write a really great book, but that is only half the battle. And yes. that was the thing that I didn't realize was that, you know, marketing your book is is equally as important and yeah. finding like, and as you know, the, the book business you're selling a, a book, a copy at a time, right? Yep. It's one, it's one book at a time, right? So yeah. uh, unless you're fortunate enough to have something like Harry Potter that just takes on a life of its own or something like that, but for the regular, regular authors like ourselves who are self-publishing, that that has been the reality. So it's it's uh, you know doing presentations at the public library or right. going to the little local bookstore or presenting in front of an elementary school and and that's how it is you know and and so that's what i found is i just wish that someone would have told me more about the marketing end of of selling books yeah i learned a lot about that when i when i wrote my first published book for for teachers um that process was was such a cool learning experience to have you know have a an established publisher help you with that and pr people and it, it was i mean it was a process i never thought about before at all you know it, mine mine was the same as you i i wrote it for the students in my classroom I read it to them. Some teachers in the hallway started picking it up. Some different local schools that knew me would pick it up. And then when I got invited to speak as, as an author, not a teacher, but as an author right. one time, I was like, oh, this, this is kind of cool, you know? And, and I started doing right. that. But um, are you, and maybe you don't want to spill the guts or the, the new, are you in the, pro, are any other ideas circulating? Do you have more in the works? Yeah, I do actually have, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I felt a lot of times that, uh, you know, for example, Flycar, the kids that read the book, um, that's so rewarding when they read the book and they say, oh, I read Flycar and I just absolutely love it. And then I always come back and say, well, what was your favorite part or your favorite scene? Or was there a character that you identified with? And then they, you know, they share that and they say, when are you going to write a sequel? And, and sometimes I feel like books are best left as a standalone and that sometimes a sequel can actually taint the original. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's, you know, that's, but I am open to, to doing that, but I do have a couple of other ideas. Um, 
you know, it's kind of interesting. It's it's a pretty big departure from a children's book, but you know, the the pickleball craze is actually taking off, and I thought it might be fun to write a a book on a how to on pickleball, but in in a very funny way. That's you know what it's funny because I you say the craze taking off. I have been seeing more and more posts about that game. There is a place actually. 15 minutes from here that um, it's actually an old skating rink that closed Mm -hmm. down and they turned it into a pickleball facility with a, like there's a a restaurant bar built into it too. Like it's, (laughs) and then people go like they go there for the the day. And I I have a friend that lives in um, uh, Santa Monica, actually he's a kindergarten teacher in Santa Monica school district. Uh, and he is constantly posting pictures of pickleball tournaments that he plays in. And, and yes. I'm like, what is, what is this? Like, what is going on? So you yeah. might have something there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The magic of pickleball and then I'll, 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 I'll rest it. But uh, the magic of it is it's a pretty quick game to pick up. So it's a cross between ping pong and tennis. Yeah. And so you can pick the game up within, you know, 15 minutes to a half an hour. You, you can be proficient in playing the game so it's i think that's the magic of it and and then you have all these former tennis players who can no longer uh you know get around a a full-length court but pickleball they they absolutely love it yeah my daughter's friend that lives in a neighborhood you know just a couple miles from us they they have um a couple tennis courts that they converted into pickleball courts because they the kids were wanting to play it and and i've i've never played it before i was like well maybe we need to go out and try it out she (laughs) plays it with her friend all the time yeah. they've got paddles and, and the balls and whatnot. So yeah. it's funny you mentioned maybe you're onto something there. Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's your next masterpiece, man. Yeah. Adam, <laughs> try don't be afraid to try new things. It's that's you know, good. You can teach an old dog new tricks. There you go. That's a great lesson to end on. So where yeah. can teachers that, that want to? I mean, the books are on Amazon. So if you guys yes. head to Amazon, um, just type in fly car, John Fuller, you're gonna find it. Type in Miss yep. Roboto, you're gonna find it. But how can teachers follow you in your journey to see if there is something new coming out? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I did the, when I did fly car, I created a website specifically for that. And I, okay. I have not done that for Miss Roboto, but I will definitely do that if I come up with a, with another book. And, and, um, you know, the other piece of it for me is, uh, you know, writers write about the things that they love and the things that they know. And so I, I, I do, you know, my, my mom actually is my biggest fan. And so she's always asking, when are you going to write the next book? I've given it to all my friends. They love it. All that. That's so, awesome. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So uh, I know on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R, fly car, all one word, right? Yes, that's exactly Fuller right. fly car. All right. So yeah. check that out. Check out the books on Amazon. Um, if you do pick them up, leave a review. Cause I know personally as a self-published author, that is something that is super fun to go back and, and look at. So um, I was reading through some of the reviews this morning and I noticed a lot of people for some, like the, the fourth, fifth grade range yes. came up in the reviews. And then some people said their 10 year olds loved it. So, you know, yes. if you're a parent of a child around that age range, um, actually one parent put on there, my 10 year old loved this, couldn't put it down at night. We're waiting for your next one. Like that yes. was, that was yes. cool. So um, yeah. if you're looking for that, parents listen to this, check out those books, um, pick them up for your kids. And, and thank you to, to John for being here today. Adam, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was uh, it was a great experience doing this podcast. All right, man. Good luck to you. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Show John some love. Head to Amazon. Look for books by John Fuller. Get those for your class, your kids, grandkids, whoever it may be that you can pick them up for. And as an author on Amazon, I know how important it is to get those reviews. So make sure once you get those books, leave him a review, positive, of course, 
in the Amazon comments. That helps us out a lot as authors and especially as independent authors. So leave them a review on Amazon, check out those books. And uh, yeah, awesome conversation today. Remember, go get your coffee, pick it up at sandhillcoffee.com. They are the sponsor of this podcast. So school 10, that's S-C-H-O-O-L, the number 10 at sandhillcoffee.com to save on your favorite type of coffee. I'll see you next time.